Hello and welcome back to our podcast. We're so glad that you are here with us. I say welcome back. Of course, you might be listening to this for the first time, in which case we're so glad you can be here with us. Today's discussion is a bit of a summary of, of the last 12 as we're drawing near the end of the lesson quarter. Uh, but there'll be lots of ideas. Um, I'm sure even for newcomers, uh, at least we hope, that will uh, give you lots to think about. It certainly gives us a lot to think about. The lesson this week as being a bit of a sort of a summary lesson has lots of ideas in it. It touches on many themes. One of them is Christ's humility. Let the same mind be in you, which was in Christ, who being equal with God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, uh, but gave that up for us. And we've decided to focus on, on this aspect. And it is, in fact, one of the themes that's come out of our discussions in the last 12 weeks about witnessing. And uh, so that's, that's where we're going in the, in the coming discussion. My name's Cameron, and I'm talking to you now from Launceston, Tasmania. Yeah, good morning, evening, whatever the time is. G'day, I'm Ken, um, and I'm in Launceston as well. Hello, everyone. This is Luke calling from wet and windy Hong Kong. And I'm Lachlan, uh, joining from Sydney. Okay, now there's obviously many passages to which you could turn if you're discussing humility. And uh, the one we've chosen comes from James chapter 1. Now, the whole chapter's good. Uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll read the first 18 verses. We may refer to some of the other verses in our discussion. I'm going to start reading uh, from James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For if the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is directed when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We might stop there. There's, there's many good things to come. It's a, great, it's a great chapter. What is it in this, do you think, that uh, speaks to the discussions we've had over the last 12 weeks, and in particular to the theme of humility. I think there's a couple of things that touch on humility, and even at the start about uh, being 
it says when you meet trials of various kinds, um, count it a joy. So in other words, it's acknowledging that things won't go perfectly, that there will be difficulties, and it's seeking to find some meaning, some joy in that. That's a humble process because the proud process is to expect everything to go your own way. Yes, and and in fact, there's inferred humility in verse 5, isn't there? The fact that if you lack wisdom, you should ask God uh, for wisdom. My my general experience is, and maybe, maybe I'm arrogant to suppose I can pass judgment in this way, but my general life experience is that not many of the people who lack wisdom are aware of their lack. Mm. And they certainly don't ask for wisdom. Sometimes they run for political office. <laughs> well, isn't that one of the things that's said of Solomon? That he was already pretty wise to have asked for wisdom as his gift. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's an interesting aspect of this, and that is that it, um, if you lack wisdom, you ask God for it. So much of what we do with witnessing seems to me uh, to be giving people what we know. Uh, explaining to them what they don't know. And there's very little involved in um, what can I learn from you in our witnessing? And maybe that's a more humble approach. Well, yeah, it's certainly something that has come up in a fair number of the topics we've discussed over the last 12 weeks. What 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 stories have we told where that came up? Uh, there was uh, uh, Peter and Cornelius where Peter had, had a lot to learn? Um, there was, I, I don't remember the exact stories, but I remember we discussed the idea of witnessing, meaning literally to witness something occurring mm. and, and observe it firsthand. Yeah, and to, to be hunting, to be hunt, when we witness, we are literally looking to be firsthand eyewitnesses of God's spirit work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're seeking the kingdom. Yeah. On, on, the, on the idea of considering it a joy to face trials because you know that it produces perseverance. It really reminds me of something I was listening to in a podcast the other day about um, happiness. Um, I think the podcast is called The Happiness Report. Um, and it's about it's about scientific study into, into human well-being, essentially. But they were talking about Aristotelian ethics. Um, and Aristotle had some really fascinating thoughts about virtue and about good habits and he sort of describes he describes a couple of concepts that sound very similar to what James is talking about in these verses 2 2 to 2 to 8 really um because because there's one thing he says where um if if you sort of make a habit a consistent habit of doing something virtuous you will get better, firstly, at doing the virtuous thing. And secondly, you will come to enjoy doing the virtuous thing. And the goal is to become the sort of person that enjoys being of high virtue, of high character. Mm. And that sounds very much like the idea of, of rejoicing in, in, uh, in, in, in trials uh, because they, they produce perseverance. Um, but what's something that Aristotle sort of goes into detail, and which I think we is I think is is also in what James is saying and is is in the Bible, but I think we as Christians tend to miss it, is that it is 
it is a process of training and a process of long-term incremental improvement at something. You have to practice enjoying perseverance. It does not come naturally to us to enjoy suffering and trials. Um, and, and we shouldn't expect, you know, a new Christian or, or, or a young person to automatically react in the appropriate way to a trial uh, or a suffering um, if they haven't had practice or they haven't had training. Um, you know, he says, testing of faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. This obviously implies a training and a learning process. It doesn't happen automatically. It's not something you get granted when you first believe or when you're baptized or, or anything like that. It is, it is something that you, you work at. Mm. Um, and I think that that's encouraging to me as a Christian because it's just a little reminder. You're not expected to be perfect from day one. Have, have any of you read um, Mark Twain's short story, The Man Who Corrupted Hag Hadleyburg? I have not. No. So it's a great short story. There's a fictional town, Hadleyburg, which is well known as being the most virtuous town around. Look, if you apply for a job and you can just say that you come from the vicinity of Hadleyburg, the job's yours because everyone knows that people from Hadleyburg are upright, good stand standing in the community, honest virtuous people and it just turns out that they're not very nice to each other in particular not very nice to the poor they're so busy being good and upright and defending their reputations as being the best town around that they don't have much time or energies left over for, for looking after needy people and one person who's uh, apparently been um, in some way hurt by the people of Hadleyburg in the past decides to take his revenge and I won't tell you how the story unfolds but it basically ends up with he he uh, he tempts the the councillors of the town in a way if they can just tell this lie they may be able to claim a huge monetary reward. He claims to be a benefactor who wants to he wants to give money to someone in Hadleyburg, but he can't remember who it was. It was someone who helped me on a dark rainy night, and it's all fictional. This yeah, dark rainy night. Someone helped me. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, if if the person could come forward to claim the money, then the money's theirs. And all the town councillors come forward throughout the plot. Their, the reputation of the people in Hadleyburg is completely destroyed. And uh, Mark Twain makes the commentary in this story. He said it's because they were very foolish in Hadleyburg. They didn't realise that there is nothing in the universe weaker than an untested virtue. <laughs> and yeah, the story that sounds concludes, like Aristotle too. The, the story concludes with the town deciding they've been really bitten by all the, their illustrious moral town councillors being shown up for being greedy, that they decide to change uh, the, the town seal from lead us not into temptation, were the words on the... Oh, they change it to lead us into temptation. <laughs> because they realise that all their virtue has been hollow. Hmm. Mm. I, th I think there's a, two really good points that Luke makes. And one is that we need to become the sort of people who will find... Uh, joy in those trials because of what they do. Now, that's not something that happens naturally. Um, it does require training, and there's a resistance uh, to that that we feel 
um, because of a misunderstanding, I think, of the gospel message and this, uh, and a misunderstanding of grace and what grace really is. Um, uh, grace uh, means that you don't have to earn. Uh, it does not mean that there is no effort. If you mm. want to speak French, you cannot simply wish to speak French. Uh, you must practice speaking French until you become the sort of person who can speak French. Um, and in the same way, uh, if you want to become the sort of person who takes joy in those trials because of what they see, then there's a training that needs to go on there. Now, that training uh, will involve vast amounts of grace. Uh, indeed, it will involve uh, probably substantially more grace uh, than uh, simply sitting and waiting for something to happen miraculously. Uh, it, it, it's still the grace of God uh, that works and trains uh, and turns us into the people who become like that. We usually refer to God's grace in the context of his forgiveness of sins. Yes. That we don't deserve our sins to be forgiven. That's obviously so. But grace, if it means favours given that are not earned, then then you don't need to have sinned even to be dependent on God's grace. Mm. Our existence is not something we earned. Yeah. Mm. That is exactly what it says in, in James. Um, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And, and then I think there's another uh, verse later on in the chapter as well. It is a really interesting picture of God's church that's painted in this chapter because this is, of course, not written to unbelievers. This is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And what do we learn about these people? Well, we learn in verse 2 that they're facing trials and that their faith is being tested. We learn that many of them lack wisdom in verse 5. You know, many of us, I should say, in God's church, <laughs> lack wisdom. In verse 6, we discover that many of us are inclined to doubt. I have to say that's one of the texts that really uh, I've always felt quite othered by that text. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I, does the fact that I have doubt mean that I'm double-minded, unstable in all I do? Uh, I'd hope that people who looked at my life didn't think that was how it turned out. But... but but at least, Ken, what this chapter would suggest is that you are in good company. Yeah, okay. The fact that this letter was, whether or not it's advisable or not, James felt it to be something that needed addressing. It, it was advice I mean, given to help people, you know. Uh, we also discover that God's people in God's church are inclined uh, to take pride sometimes in their in their successes and their wealth. That that's something that we're susceptible to. That's something that James feels a need to, to warn against. And there's another reference to trials. Uh, in verse 13, we discover that the people in God's church are tempted. And sorry, in verse 16, we discover that, that they are capable of being deceived. And then verse 17 and 18 is the one I was thinking of before but couldn't find in the moment. There's something really interesting in verses 9 and 10 and 11, I feel, um, that also triggered in my, my, in my mind a memory of something I had seen completely outside of the, the, uh, the Bible context. So there's a book um, about international development written by uh, a man called Robert Chalmers, or 
Ch- yeah, Chalmers, I think, is, is, is the pronunciation, who has worked in international development and aid for decades and decades and decades, right back from when it was sort of ex-colonial sort of aid type, type situation. Um, and he writes in his book about everything he learned in doing it. Uh, this sentence, he says, being treated with respect is a learning disability that goes with age until senile and treated like a child or infirm and power. And then he goes on to the specific examples where he was treated with respect. <laughs> and because he was treated with respect, made very big mistakes um, because he didn't have the real information. Uh, I just find it fascinating to see that same idea in verse 10. Uh, sort of expressed in a different way. The idea that actually being treated, if you're rich and powerful, you should be glad when you're treated with disrespect because it is of direct benefit to you and your character and will also help you to avoid making terrible, terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody, somebody, it's it's kind of, it's kind of like the, the idea of, which you see sort of in Shakespeare, um, of the, the person of the, the jester, who is the mm-hmm. only one who can tell the king the real truth without fear of getting killed for it. Mm. Um, mm. And that is the value of the jester, is that they tell the king the truth. And that's in more than a few stories that I, I recall. I mean, that's also something that crops up in sort of war history. I've certainly read uh, it claimed that one of the big differences in World War Two was that um, Hitler was less capable of surrounding himself with people who would challenge him or question him and i'm sure there's many many nuances to this but it's genuinely going to be true isn't it that if you if you are a leader who can't listen who who has no one there to tell you when you might be going wrong then then you're not going to be told when you might be going wrong and you'll have to notice it for yourself and we often don't and so it's it's going to be much easier to go wrong Mm. Ken, what was the comment we had in Sabbath school? Was it from you last week? Yeah, it was. It, it was Tom Sedison. It's the no. It was Henry Ford, um, Henry Ford, who was who was known for surrounding himself with uh, people who had abilities uh, that he didn't have. And one of the things that he's attributed with saying um, uh, is, um, "If you and I both think the same, then one of us isn't necessary." Ah. <laughs> How does it. that play out in a, in the context of witnessing? Because surely the whole point of witnessing is to make sure that everyone thinks the same as us, isn't it? Well, there is that <laughs> verse about the, the, the body has many parts. Ah. Oh. Well, now that I think about it, I, I don't think I have ever been in a church where everyone thought the same. Mm. But if no one thinks the same thing in a church, then, then surely witnessing is a fairly uh, ill-defined sort of objective. Well, remember... What are you trying to... I mean... Remember, one of the things that we've touched on in the last couple of weeks, uh, especially last week with the story of Jonah, sometimes witnessing has great benefit for the person doing the witnessing as a learning opportunity for them. I mean, you already mentioned that with um, Peter and Cornelius and mm. a whole lot of the stories in the book of Acts. I have to say, it's it's something that I... It's not an approach to witnessing that seems to match what I so often see uh, in the way that my church 
denomination uh, approaches evangelism and witnessing. Um, uh, I it, it seems to me, and, and, and perhaps I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that what we do is approach it from a position of uh, certainty about the knowledge that we have to share, um, almost in a the style of a you know an Amway uh, multi-level marketer uh, saying, "Well, here it is, and this is what I've got, and here it is, points A, B, and C, and they fit together all nice and neatly and tightly, um, and uh, I present it to you." Uh, accept it or reject it uh, as you will and at your risk, uh, and I'll move on to the next person. Well, exactly, Ken. One of the reasons why I wanted to go through the list, which I did a few minutes ago, of of what James obviously thinks is present in the church, all all these potential flaws or faults um, that he's addressing in this chapter, is it's obvious that God's people are not a people who have something altogether. They need to be warned against pride. They need to be warned against this. They need to be warned about not losing faith. They need to be warned um, to expect testing and, and to with endure. And there's all these potential things that could be wrong. And James is saying, well, you know, these people are going to need a bit of help. And if we don't say that we're some of the people who need help, um, we're in trouble. There's a great comedy sketch, and it has to do with an inability to ask for help in a way, and also with, with the concept of of witnessing it's a armstrong and miller sketch where they're crashed on a desert island and only the pilot and three passengers have survived and the three passengers are marketing executives the head of marketing for some company and the pilot says to them that you know they really need to write a message on the beach maybe um you know sos and the marketing people don't like that they say well it's a bit old hat everyone says sos and no you know when the world zigs you have to zag we need something fresh, um, you know. You know, uh, we need we need to entice people. Uh, you know, what about uh, golf sale? Um, and one of the other marketing people, one of the mar- other marketing people says, "No, no, no, no." The most powerful phrase in human history: single word, free. <laughs> their brains and the pilots getting progressively demoralized at the fact i can't remember what the message they finally they finally write on the the beaches but it's some catchy slogan and they're supremely confident that they've they've nailed down what the message should be it is also true in this in this passage later on it's not in the verse that we read it actually answers the question asked earlier by um about whether or not our job is the end goal what's our end goal is our end goal to make people think like us and that's not our end goal because James gives a fairly succinct summary of what religion is. And if we're converting people to a religious way of life, then we're presumably converting them to this. And it's, it's the last verse of this chapter. Uh, mm. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. 28 fundamentals. Sorry. Oh, sorry. That's the wrong. I'm, I must have a paraphrase. Um, uh is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It seems that God can cope with some people in verse 5 who lack wisdom and some people in verse 3 who are inclined to give up when they face trials and even, even some people the who are inclined to, to... Even the doubters. 
um, and maybe some people inclined to pride, uh, if these people, with all their various faults, and, and church is a family full of flawed people, if that family is intent on helping other people, then they are they are part of God's family. God can work with them on on their faults. And when you think of Christ as a missionary, I know that when we talk about missionary and work and outreach, we model ourselves heavily on Acts, and so we should because it's an amazing evangelistic, you know, work recorded in Acts. But if you think of Christ as a missionary, Christ did a lot of telling stories, a lot of social justice, a lot of uh, just spending time with people at weddings and uh, funerals, although he had a nasty habit of upsetting funerals. A nice habit, I guess. He can't upset <laughs> them in the, in the best possible way. Um, but uh, they didn't stay as funerals for very long. He had a habit of fin- of of bringing funerals to an, to a rapid close. Christ did a lot of just helping people with the needs that they perceived they had, and sometimes those needs were not spiritual. Sometimes they were hungry or they were they were um, tired or ill. So I think that we need to also draw attention to one of the other verses in this chapter, James one, that we did not read, because it addresses. A little bit of the how as well as the why of witnessing. And that's verse 19. Know this, Mm. my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that it's a fairly fairly profound bit of advice, actually, to listen more than you speak. It's especially profound advice in the context of witnessing, and it connects with what you were just identifying, Cam. And Lachlan, it's even a bit stronger than that, because verse 26 uh, reinforces this concept very clearly in saying those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Not their religion is not as good as it could be. (laughs) Their religion is worthless. It's a very strong statement. I didn't notice that. You're right. Uh, that's that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Uh, more or less, I mean, what does it mean to not keep a tight rein on your tongue? Is that... What what does it well, mean? I think, I think it's sit- verse 19. That Verse 19 is how to keep a tight yeah. rein on your tongue. And again, the implication is not that... It, it, this is advice. So it's saying you should try to be like this. It is not saying you mm. are like this already because mm. you're call yourselves Christians. It's saying this is what you should aspire to and practice uh, and get better at. So, I mean, I think that it's fair to say, and and this, we picked a passage from James, but you could pick any number of passages from any of the New Testament uh, writings to the churches, and you quickly realise that the churches in the early New Testament era were, were not perfect. In fact, no church ever has been perfect. So I think that presuming to say to people, uh, we have everything and you need it. You don't realise how much you need it, actually. And that's one of the things that's wrong with you. But if, if you were a bit smarter, you'd realise how much you need what we have. Maybe, maybe that attitude is flawed at every possible level. Maybe we need them just as much as they need us. Cam, there's an interesting comparison, which uh, without wanting to get ahead of myself might be a good end point um, in international development 
where it has now for a long time been very understood that the best outcomes are generally obtained by what is called community-led development, which is where, exactly as you describe, instead of going to them and saying, we have all the answers, you are not as good as us and don't know what to do. And if you were a bit smarter and better educated and wealthier, but you're not, um, you would know to listen to us and we will solve all your problems for you. That does generally not produce good outcomes in terms of addressing the needs of a community. What does produce good outcomes in terms of addressing needs of a community is going with a service mindset, a mindset to learn from them, and an approach to collaboratively developing whatever actions you're going to take together with the beneficiaries taking a leadership role in designing the work. That is what produces the best results. Now, there's one verse that I'd like to follow on from Luke's because it's relevant. I can't remember which gospel it's. Christ says, don't be like, you say, Lord, Lord, and so you, so you should. Um, the, the rulers, the Gentiles, lord it over other people. But I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be a servant. Matthew twenty twenty five. 25. Matthew twenty twenty five. Or Luke twenty two twenty five. Matthew. Or Mark ten forty two. <laughs> 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 it's a common one, apparently. Okay. So says Google. Uh, it comes from the Last Supper when Jesus called his disciples. Uh, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. I wonder if we can in- reinterpret that passage in the context of, of witnessing. It's very tempting when you're witnessing to lord it over other people, to celebrate the secret knowledge that we have, uh, to be so glad that there are people who know less than us because it gives us something to do to make us feel good You know, when we share with them the truth. But maybe, maybe we shouldn't lord it over them and we should guard ourselves against that attitude. Instead, if you want to become great, if you want to become maybe a great witnesser, you must be a servant. Just as Christ did not come to serve, but sorry, Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I know, Locke, last week you talked about uh, our emphasis should perhaps be a little less on sharing God's truth and a little more on sharing God's blessings. Hmm. And I want to address just one thing that grows out of that and out of what we've said um, in this episode, because it, it can sound a little bit as if, well, what is, um, you know, what's what's the point if if all of these other people have so much to teach us and we've got to be so humble, uh, what are we even witnessing? Um well, I, I find a great challenge. The, the, we're talking about self-sacrificing humility in reality. That's what it's like if you're taking on the mindset of Jesus. And I find a great challenge from the story of Moses, who comes down from the mountain. The people are worshipping an idol, a golden calf. And God says, I'm going to wipe these people out, Moses, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And Moses says, don't do that. Um, it gives a good reason and says, if you... If you have to, um, blot me out from the book, which is extremely self-sacrificing. And that's an enormous challenge. I think that we are called to be a blessing, to share a blessing, 
and to seek the kingdom. And just because we don't have everything good doesn't mean we don't have something good. Mm. So that we, we still do have something to share um, if we can do it in a spirit of humility and if we can do it with an eye open for God's spirit where is at work in maybe unusual or surprising ways. And if we can do it with a heart that's really eager to learn, then we can only end up so much richer and better off for it. Yep, wholeheartedly agree. Well, that might be a good close. Where uh, You'll notice this episode's a little shorter uh, than our last. Uh, this is not by accident. Some of us who, who are in charge of teaching students are now entering the time of year when all manner of huge assessments are due and marks. And I'd tell the truth, I'd much rather record podcast episodes on engaging topics than mark tests. But I suspect that maybe part of me trying to um, trying to share God's kingdom could even include the difficult and trial trialing task of of marking tests for my students. So we'll, we'll keep the episodes a bit shorter. As always, we're very interested though in any feedback that you have. Uh, you can email us at the address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail dot com, and uh, we hope you join. Uh, next week. It is of course the start of a new quarter and the new quarter is on education and we think we might have a bit of fun with this. We, we'll loosely follow the lesson but we're going to diverge a little. Uh, Locke, Luke, Ken and I are going to bring each week something that we've learnt in the course of our studies, something that we've learnt that's impacted our life of faith and so uh, join us next week not just for a discussion on the themes of the lesson but also to learn some interesting stuff. And uh, the episode next week will start with a discussion of chaos and order and how mathematicians think about chaos and order and how that can provide us with some really uh, useful insights into mechanisms that God could be using to uh, express his will and to take part in his creation. And I think there's a lot of fruit there for really fun discussion. So we look forward to you joining us again.